Thanks for tuning in to the Three Strands Podcast. You're about to hear an episode from our Sunday morning worship service. To learn more about Three Strands, visit our website, threestrands.church. And uh, thank you guys for being here. Thank you for those of you who are here today who were also here last week. Because I came into last week feeling like we were going to scare some people away from church. Maybe we did. I don't know, you know. So, but sometimes when you um, just preach and teach the truth, that's what happens. So Sam said, uh, that's what happens when you give them the truth. And I said, yeah, it sets them free and it scares them away. So, so that's what we did last week with our uh, sermon all about Jesus' words on uh, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And so uh, that scared people away. I don't know. Too bad, I guess. I hope it didn't. I hope we ended it with... Um, um, an accurate picture of what God was trying to teach us from his word. And I'm encouraged, once you guys know it's encouraging for me when people in our church take God's word, they hear it on a Sunday morning, and then they go put it into practice. And so people that communicated with me throughout the week this week and the previous two weeks, um, how they've heard God's truth um, about anger and about marriage and remarriage and divorce uh, and about adultery and lust and faithfulness. And they've heard that stuff and they've left here and they've um, doubled down on their commitment to their marriage. They've um, put some things into practice, trying to work on their anger. Um, they have uh, uh, really considered God's word and walked away from it, like really looking into God's perfect law of liberty and um, not forgetting who they really are, but knowing they can't ever be righteous on their own and depending on God for their righteousness. So that's very encouraging to me. Thank you guys for that. Each week of this series, uh, we've been kind of talking about this phrase, a kind of a key idea, um, and I'm going to see if anybody can help me out with it today. So the beginning of it will be on the screen, and you can just raise your hand if you know the answer. Oh, uh, uh, all right, I can call on Sydney because she was the only one that had her hand up at the beginning, so. Trust what God says, not what they say. Okay, she stepped on that too, so that's even better. Back of Snickers. All right, yeah, they say a lot of things, right? And they're not always right. Sometimes they're wrong. In fact, often the majority is wrong. And sometimes the minority is also wrong. They say a lot of things. And you can't always trust what they say. But you can always trust what God says. That's the point of the whole series, right? That we would become people who trust what God says no matter what they say. No matter what doctors tell us. No matter what politicians tell us. No matter what teachers tell us. No matter what scientists tell us. No matter what co-workers or neighbors tell us, no matter what our own heart tells us, I become the kind of person that trusts what God says, not what they say. And if I will do that, if you will do that, your life will be better. I promise. doesn't always feel like that up front, but that's God's way. God's way is always the long view. So we got to become people that have the long view. You can't just see the instant gratification. You've got to look at it. God says, my life will be better if I do it his way, right? And so I've been sharing this uh, other phrase with you during the series too because I want you to listen to God's voice, right? And so here it is. It's the voice you listen to. Anybody got the rest of that one? That one's a little harder maybe. The voice you listen to. Can anybody fill in the rest of that phrase? You have to have really been paying attention the last three weeks. Anybody? This thing on. Testing. Anybody got that one? Give, want to give it a shot? A stab? I'm the only one that will make fun of you if you get it wrong, so it's okay. Just one person. Nobody's got that one? Go for it. What do you got? Ooh, that's good. I can't get this back here. That was pretty close. It's pretty close. I mean, it's as close as I can get. You can't do that if you've got a real church sanctuary, Sam, but if you're in a gym, you can do that, I think, you know, so... Believe me, they've done way worse in here than that, so it's okay. But um, yeah, okay, the voice you listen to will determine the future you experience. I want you to become people who listens to God's voice above all other voices. You get it? That we would trust what he says, even if we read it in his word and we're like, eh, I don't really like that, I'm really uncomfortable with that, I really don't want to do that, but like, ah, let's just do it God's way anyway and see if he doesn't bless us for it. And so uh, in this series, we've kind of covered um, this piece of what is called today the Sermon on the Mount. It's this sermon that Jesus preached or taught 
from the side of a mountain. That's the only reason they call it the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus is on this mountain, and there's thousands of people sitting and standing around him, listening to him preach. It's like a a three-chapter-long sermon. If you want to read the whole thing for yourself, it's Matthew chapter 5 through 7 um, in the New Testament, in God's Word. But we're just looking at a small part of it. There's this part of it where Jesus... Um, kind of looks around the crowd. And the Bible doesn't say this, but in my head, I kind of see him like scanning the crowd and seeing in the crowd this group of religious leaders, these Pharisees, scribes, um, rabbis, teachers of Jewish religious law. And, And I said in the previous weeks that those guys function differently than a rabbi or a priest or a pastor would function today. Yes, they were like spiritual leaders, but they were also like political leaders and kind of like the judge, jury, and, and all the deciding you know, uh, factors legally. And so they kind of led the nation legally, spiritually, politically, all wrapped up into one kind of role as a religious leader in Israel at that time. And so here these guys sit in the crowd. They don't really like Jesus that much. He says a lot of things against them. And so they're kind of his enemy already at this point. But I could kind of envision him scanning the crowd, seeing this group sitting in with all these thousands of people. And then he issues this warning. I've been reading you the warning every week of the series. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. And this is the warning, he says. But I warn you, unless your righteousness, again, that's just a big word that means right living, um, living God's way, right living, righteousness. Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And that is a bold statement by Jesus. Because in the mind of all these people in the crowd, nobody lived more righteously. Nobody lived a more right life than these religious leaders. The ones who were teaching all them how to lead. They looked at them as like, if, if they're, you know, they're what I should want to be like. And here comes Jesus saying like, their righteousness, their way of living isn't good enough to get into heaven. And everybody kind of had been left thinking like, well then, if they can't get there, how could I ever get there? And that's kind of the point of everything Jesus is going to say after that. He's going to rip apart their self-righteousness, that they could ever be good enough on their own to get to heaven, that they could ever be good enough in God's sight to earn their way into his kingdom. He's going to rip that apart because they had built this whole system of self-righteousness, and we do the same thing today. We decide there's some pieces about God that we don't like. There's something we read in his word that we don't agree with. There's something that, that, that we've been taught about God that we don't think makes much sense. And so we kind of develop our own theology, our own system of religion, our own righteousness. We take God and we look at his standard and we like, that's unattainable. So we pull it down to something we can do or worse, something we like to do. And then we justify it inside of our own minds as, well, God loves me. God wants me to be happy I mean, surely God made me with a mind to think for myself, right? So he must be okay with me doing this or thinking this or believing this when it's the exact opposite of what he says. I I need you to know, like, I don't know if you recognize how often you might hear that from people in your life. I hear that all the time. People who seem to claim to be Christians, claim to love God, but they have an area of their life where they just do whatever they want. And somehow write it off as like God still loves me and is proud of me and pleased with me and says I'm getting into heaven for that stuff. But it's the opposite of what he says to do. That's these Pharisees. That's these religious leaders. And Jesus is ripping apart that system and saying, you know, you've heard that they say this, but I'm telling you there's a whole different way to live. And that isn't good enough. If you don't live this way, you're never going to get into heaven. And he's blowing our minds with this stuff because it's all unattainable. And if you were here in the very first week, we looked at him saying, you know, you've heard the law that says you're not supposed to commit murder. And everybody was like, yeah, don't murder. That's a good law. I like that. But then he goes like, yeah, but, but I say, don't even get angry at somebody. And you're all like, how am I going to do that? I get angry at people all the time. Unless you can not get angry at people. You can't get into heaven. You're like, I can't do that. And that's the point. You can't do that. You're right. 
And then he says, you've heard the law that says you're not supposed to commit adultery. And, and everybody's like, yeah, we're not supposed to commit adultery. We know that's what's in the law. That's the right thing to do. And he says, that's what they say. But I say there's a higher standard of righteousness for God. That just not committing adultery isn't good enough. I say to you that even if you look at somebody and lust in your heart after them, you're guilty of the same sin as adultery. How could I ever do that? And then you get to last week and he's like, you've heard um, all of our ancestors who say that you can get divorced for any old reason you want as long as you file the right paperwork. And we have that same kind of principle or rule in our society today. And Jesus comes along, he's like, but I say that in God's view, there's a higher standard of righteousness. You shouldn't even get divorced. And you're left looking at these things, thinking to yourself, I guess I'm just a murdering, adulterous divorcee that doesn't deserve to get into heaven because I can't be good enough. Exactly. You're on the right track. Jesus is trying to bring you to a place where you will look at your life and not think, hey, I'm pretty good. But that you will look at your life and finally, maybe for the first time, realize I can't actually be good enough. I need help. And so now we get to this one today. We're going to look at the fourth kind of statement of Jesus where he says, you know, they say it one way, but I say it another way. Let me read that to you first, and then we'll go through it together. It's in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 33. Here he goes. He says, you have also heard. Remember, you have heard is kind of code for they say, right? You have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, don't even make a vow. Don't make any vows. Do not say by heaven because heaven is God's throne and do not say by earth because earth is his footstool. Do not say by Jerusalem for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple yes I will or no I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. I know it might have been confusing. Stay with me. We're going to come back to it, okay? So what we're talking about today is vows. Now, some of you have been to a wedding. You've heard the preacher maybe say, like, repeat these vows after me. Or you've heard maybe the pastor say uh, the couple has decided to exchange and write their own vows. And they're going to exchange them with each other now, right? So maybe that's your kind of best experience with what a vow is. But let's all get on the same page with this, okay? So what they're saying, what they say, right, is that if you make a vow unto the Lord, you have to keep it. You can't break your word. Okay, what Jesus seems to be saying here is don't make any vows, right? Is that what it seems like Jesus is saying? Okay, stay with me, stay with me. We're going to kind of teach through this together. I really want you to understand God's word uh, in this subject. So first, let's kind of define what a vow is, right? So we're all on the same page. I made up my own definition. Here's what I got. You ready? It's like a commitment. A vow, it's kind of like an oath or a promise, or a commitment, right? You get, it? But it's a commitment you make while invoking someone or something greater than you as a guarantee to the seriousness of your promise, okay? So now the examples Jesus gave in the passage were things like, I swear to heaven, or, or I make an oath um, unto Jerusalem, or, or I, I, today I make a vow, I make a vow by my own head. Those were the kind of the examples Jesus gave, right? Now, we don't say things like that today, but you guys have all heard people do this outside of weddings, just in their normal everyday life, right? How many times have you ever heard somebody say, I swear to God, blank, fill in whatever, right? It's like, I swear to God, Mom, I did my homework. I swear to God, I'll be at work on time the next time. You know, it's like, I swear to God, and they fill it in with whatever. It's kind of a vow, right? Like an oath. They don't know they're doing that. It's just like they're kind of default reflex way to talk. But really what they're doing is they're kind of swearing an oath, taking a vow, making this promise to do something, and they're invoking someone or something greater than themselves to communicate to you how serious they are about the promise, right? And so I could be like, hey, uh, I'm going to do my homework, mom. Okay, that's one level. Or I could be like, I promise I'm going to do my homework, mom. 
and that's like a kind of another level. Then you'd be like, I swear to God, Mom, I promise I'm going to do my homework. You see how it's like you're kind of increasing your ability to communicate how serious you are about it. Does that make sense? And you could do this to other things in your life, too. You've heard people do this in the South. People do this with all kinds of wording, so I don't even know all those. But you maybe have heard people before say, like, I swear on my own life, or I swear on my mama's grave, or I swear on the lives of my children. You're like, really? It's, it's just homework, dude. Like, don't give up your children for it, you know? But that's the same idea, right? They're kind of taking someone or something else and they're using them to communicate to you, I'm super serious about this promise, right? That's a vow. That's uh, this commitment we're talking about. That's an oath that's being talked about in these passages, right? And so maybe you've been to weddings and you've heard people say, um, they're going to repeat these vows after me. Or maybe you've even heard them say at weddings things like, uh, we're gathered here today in front of God and these witnesses to kind of like make this vow or make this commitment, right? Or maybe you've testified in court before and they've made you raise your right hand, depending on the court you're in. Maybe they've had you put your hand, other hand on a Bible and, and they've said, uh, uh, raise your right hand, repeat after me. Do you, I swear... I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. You see what I just did there? It's like a vow, a, an oath, a commitment, but I'm invoking the name of God to communicate I'm super serious about this. That makes sense? And so some of you who know me know that several years ago I joined the park board here, right? Okay, so if you join any board in McCreary County government, okay, some of you might know this, you have to like swear an oath. Okay? And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm just on the park board. So I had to go to the courthouse and swear an oath to be part of the park board. This is going to sound like, this is going to sound like a lie, but we're talking about the truth today, so I promise this is the truth. So I had to like raise my right hand, put my other hand on a Bible, and part of the oath I had to swear was that I swore I wouldn't challenge anybody else in the county to a duel. It's crazy. It's like, what do you mean? That shouldn't even have to be in the oath. But I guess it's from like, you know, 100 years ago or whatever. So I just want you to know, I took that oath so you're safe. Because some of you I may have already challenged you to a duel. But I took that oath so I can't. So, but those are the idea. That's the idea behind this commitment, this vow, this oath that we're talking about in these passages, right? And I know you might be sitting there today thinking, this doesn't sound very relevant for me. I try to tell the truth. I try to keep my word, keep my promises. You might be sitting there thinking, this doesn't really apply to me. But let me just ask you this today. Wouldn't we all agree that our world would be better if we could actually trust what people say? Like in general, not, not necessarily just ourselves, but like just in general, wouldn't the world be better if everybody, you know, kind of to, um, you know, adapt a phrase from Horton, like if everybody you know, meant what they said and said what they meant and were faithful all the time, like 100%. You know what I mean? Like, wouldn't our world actually be a better place if when people gave you their word, you could bank on it? And that's kind of what we're talking about today. And what I want to do is I want to kind of pull back the veil and just ask us some questions about ourselves. Because it's easy to say the world would be better if people were more honest. It's easy to say that if people kept their word more often out there, that everything would be better. But it's hard to look at our own life and ask the question, are we actually rising to the level of righteousness God wants in this area? Or are we also oath breakers? Are we breaking our vows? Are we giving out words and then turning our back on them as if they don't matter? And so I want us to really take a hard look at ourselves. So uh, some of you who know me also know that I didn't grow up in Kentucky. And uh, so when we, <laughs> when we moved to Kentucky, I had to... Anybody who's not from here knows this. You have to, like, kind of learn the language. There's, like, a language here. You know, it's like a foreign country sometimes. So, and, uh, and so this kind of came up, and in, 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 while I was thinking through this teaching time this week, I thought, there's some phrases when I moved to Kentucky. I had to learn what people meant around here because it sounds like they're lying to me, okay? And so I'm just going to hit you with these, and, and whether you agree with these or not, these are just my opinion. This isn't in the Bible. But, but they're kind of like lies, and they're trying to be kind because people tell lies for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes they tell them just to look better on Facebook. Sometimes they tell them just to kind of keep the peace in their home. Uh, sometimes they tell them just so they won't get in trouble at work. They have a good reason. They think they can justify the reason. But have you ever been talking to somebody on the phone from Kentucky 
and you get near the end of the phone call, and in your head you're thinking, this thing's wrapping up, right? And I've said everything I need to say, and they've said everything they need to say, and probably don't need to talk to them about this anymore. And at the, end of the very end of the call, they say to you, well, I'll holler at you later. You ever hear, ever hear that? Okay. First of all, I don't want any of you hollering at me. I don't know why we're yelling about everything, but they'll be like, yeah, I'll holler at you later. But they have no intention of calling you later. That's not even on their radar. The conversation's almost over and there's nothing else that needs to be said. But it's just what they say. They think it's like a kind thing to say, right? But it's really a lie. They're not going to call me later. In fact, the very first few times I heard that, I would stop people. I'd be like, wait, what do you mean? Are we like, you got something else to say? Or like, do we got more to talk about here? Well, I thought we were done with this, you know? Like, I'll holler at you later, you know? And um, there was another one I was thinking about today. I can't remember what it was, but you hear this one a lot around here today, or uh, often around here too. It's like a, it's, oh, I know what it was. It's like, you know how they say there's Southern hospitality, and that's kind of true. If you grew up in the North, you know, like, in general, it is a little bit more hospitable around here than it is um, up North, but, but one of the things that people will say to you around here is they'll be like, uh, hey, um, let me know if you need any help with that. I don't care to help you. I don't care to help you, but they don't really want to help you. You ever, you ever know that's like, they don't really want to help you. They just say that because it sounds kind, right? But then it's like it's time to move or you're doing that job around your house. And so you call up all the buddies who said, I don't mind to help you, and they won't answer. They don't return the text or, you know what I mean? It's like they don't really want to help you. I was like, well, up north they wouldn't say that. But if they did say that, they'd really help you. Like if I told somebody back home, I was like, hey, I'll help you move next Saturday, I'd be there. But here it's like 50-50, you know what I mean? Like if they say, oh, I don't mind to help you next Saturday, be like, oh, next Saturday, oh, sorry, brother, I ran into blah, blah, and some reason they couldn't help you. And so sometimes they're just saying that to try and sound kind, but they're not really, you know, being kind, um, you know, when they say it, you know. So I don't know, those are examples, but I get it that those people don't have any like maliciousness in their heart. But I want you to know that God really hates lying. Like he really hates it. The Bible says he despises it. He calls it an abomination. I know it's easy for Christians and church folks to get on their high horse and point out all the sins that everybody else does and how God hates those and they're an abomination. But I got news for you. The Bible's pretty clear that God hates lying. He calls it an abomination and says no liars will get into the kingdom of heaven. It's pretty serious. So I just want us to take it that serious when we use our words, when we talk, when we say things. Because God thinks it's a big deal. All right, so let's do this. I want to just ask you three questions today about taking vows, about oaths. I think we'll answer all three of them together. I think if we answer these three questions, that you'll have a good understanding of what Jesus is talking about in the text we read. That you'll have a good understanding of God's viewpoint on taking vows, making promises or commitments or oaths. And you'll be able to walk away thinking through how you can put this into practice in your own life. So I don't think I, don't think I have these on the screen. But the first, I'll give you all three of the questions and then we'll kind of circle back and answer all three of them. The first one's this. What is God's view of vows? What is God's view in the Bible of vows? Let's, let's figure that out. Question number two. How had Jewish culture distorted vows? How had they distorted God's view of vows, right? And question number three, what was Jesus actually teaching about vows? Okay, let's kind of answer those three questions. I think you'll have a good understanding of God's word if we do that. Let me give them to you one more time. What is God's view of vows? How had Jewish culture distorted vows? And what was Jesus teaching about vows? Okay, so what was God's view, or what is God's view of vows? Well, unlike last week when we were talking about divorce, God actually endorses vow taking. He, he actually encourages it. He approves of it. He even participates in it himself. Makes vows and commitments and promises all by himself. So just kind of, we don't have time to read the hundreds of passages in the Bible about vows, but I'll just give you some examples. Abraham took a vow in Genesis chapter 24, verses 2 and 3, Isaac took a vow. Genesis chapter 26, verses 28 and 29. Jacob took a vow in Genesis 31, 44. Jonathan took a vow in 1 Samuel 20, 16. King David took a vow in 2 Samuel 19, 23. And then as I referenced already, God takes a vow. I'm going to read you that one. Can I read you one? Just give you some examples. Can't give you all of them, but let me give you one where God actually makes a vow. You see if you hear the oath or the vow in it. It's in Genesis chapter 22. 
Uh, we're going to start in verse 15. Abraham and God are having a conversation through an angel, through the angel of the Lord. Could be Jesus in the Old Testament. Could just be an angel. It's hard to say. But they're having this conversation, and God asks Abraham to sacrifice his own son for him. Newsflash, you wouldn't want to do that, right? But Abraham does it, is willing to do it. And, and, and then God stops him just in time. But because Abraham was willing to obey what God told him to do, God has this conversation with him and makes a promise to him. Here it is, Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name. Does that sound like an oath? Like a vow? Like a promise? Like he's swearing to something, right? Now he swears to his own name. Why? Because how is he going to invoke anybody higher than him, right? Okay, so stay with me. We'll come back to that too in a second. I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and, th and through your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. This is called theology circles, the Abrahamic covenant. This covenant is what the entire Bible is based on. This is God's whole plan for humanity. We are, the other nations today, benefiting from the blessing God gave to Abraham through his descendants. We're still benefiting from it because God made this oath, this covenant, this promise. Comes up several times throughout the Bible, and it's God making an oath, making a promise, a commitment, right? Often in the Old Testament, you'll hear things like, uh, uh, as, as surely as the Lord lives... I will blank and fill in the blank. As the Lord liveth, I will blank. These are all vows, commitments, right? They're invoking the name of God to let you know how serious they are about the commitment. But sometimes there's oaths taken in the Bible for the wrong reasons, for bad reasons. Uh, there's lots of examples of that. Let me read you one of those. Matthew chapter 26, verse, starting in verse 71. And you remember, if you remember this story when Jesus was about to be executed, and a little slave girl comes out to Peter and says, hey, I recognize you. You were with Jesus, right? And Peter's like, no, I, I wasn't with him, right? And then a second slave girl comes out and accuses Peter of being with Jesus. This is how that goes, starting in verse 71 of Matthew chapter 26. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Now look at verse 72. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. What's he saying? I swear to God, I don't even know who he is. You get it? He's like doubling down, letting him know like, hey, I know I said I didn't know him before, but you need to know I'm super serious that I don't know who he is. I swear on the Lord that I don't know who he is, right? Verse 73, a little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Just saying, I... Okay, not even going to go there, Lily. I'm not even going to go there on the accent thing. But Peter swore, verse 74, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, right? You get what he's doing there, right? I swear to God, I don't even know who he is. I swear, let there be a curse on my life. That's how serious I am about this if I'm found to be lying. And he was lying. He did know Jesus, right? Oftentimes in the Bible, people made vows or promises, or oaths, and they did it real quickly, without thinking through it, carelessly, and it got them into trouble. They, got, they were on the hook for something they shouldn't have committed to. That happens all over the Bible. Jephthah in Judges 11, Saul in 1 Samuel 14, Herod in Matthew 14. Let me show you one of those examples in Joshua chapter 9. Joshua is told by God to go into the promised land and wipe out all the cities in there and take possession of the land for Israel. And before they go in, Joshua and some of the other leaders of Israel, they go and they meet with these three kings, and they don't know that they're from inside the promised land. And without consulting God, they end up making an oath to these three kings. Let me read it to you. It's in Joshua chapter 9, starting in verse four, end of verse 14. They did not consult the Lord. Then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety. And the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. So the Israelites did not attack the towns, for the Israelite leaders had made a vow to them in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. 
The people of Israel grumbled against their leaders because of the treaty, but the leaders replied, since we have sworn an oath in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel, we cannot touch them. This is what we must do. We must let them live, for divine anger would come upon us if we broke our oath. You get it? They shouldn't have made that oath. Sometimes people make them for the wrong reasons. Sometimes people make them too quick and it gets them into trouble. Those same areas that Israel did not destroy because they hastily, um, carelessly made an oath are still pummeling them today. They should have done it God's way. They should have had the long view. Because those people today that they didn't wipe out then are still launching rockets into Israel today. If only we would see it God's way. If only we would let his voice be the one we listen to. There are other people in the Bible that made beautiful vows to the Lord for the right reason and God blessed them for it. People like Ruth and Samuel and David and Hannah all over the Bible. Lord, I swear by your name, I promise in your name, if you will bless me with a son, I will give him back to you to serve you all of his days. Lord, I promise if you will defeat my enemies for me, that in your name I will serve you all the days of my life. And God bless their lives for those commitments, those vows. All right, so I want to sum up for you the Old Testament's teaching on vows. I think I can do it in two kind of quick principles. They're important principles. You can jot these down if you want. Um, but vows have to be these two things. If they're going to be done God's way, vows have to be these two things. You ready? They can only be in God's name. They can only be in God's name. You don't swear to any other God. You don't swear to yourself. You don't swear to um, some temple or some church or some flower or some sun or whatever. It's only in God's name. I'm going to show you these in just a second, Okay. So here's the first one in Deuteronomy 6.13. This comes up 20, 50 times in the Bible. Let me just show you one example. Deuteronomy 6.13. You must fear the Lord your God and serve him. When you take an oath, you must use only his name. You got it? So stop swearing on the lives of your kids <laughs> or on your own life or, or by everything that's holy in this world or whatever it is we say. Stop doing that, right? Only in God's name. Principle number one. And then here's principle number two for making a vow. It's only for special occasions. Okay? Stop making an oath over like the parking space you're going to get at Walmart. It's only for special occasions, all right? Things like your wedding. Maybe some of us need to get on our knees and make some vows to our kids. Or get on our face and make some vows to our God. But only for serious, important things of life. That's kind of the standard for making vows in the Old Testament. Now keep those in your mind. We'll come back to that at the very end, but keep those in your mind. So let me get you question number two. How had the Jewish culture distorted vows? All right, here's how they did it. You ready? I'm going to show you where they get their information on vows from. It's from Numbers chapter 30, verses 1 and 2. Let me read it to you. It says, Then Moses summoned the leaders of the tribes of Israel and told them, This is what the Lord has commanded. It's a command, Right? A man who makes a vow to the Lord, a man who makes a vow to the Lord, or makes a pledge under oath must never break it. He must do exactly what he said he would do. All right, here's how they messed it up. First way they messed it up. This numbers passage wasn't very specific about when they were supposed to make vows and not make vows. So they had started making vows for everything. They were making a vow about everything to try and convince everybody they were talking to that they were telling the truth, whether they had any intention of keeping their word or not. They were just spitting out these vows. I swear by Jerusalem that I'll do this. I swear on my own life, on my own head. I swear on my own life that I'll do this. I promise, I promise. And then just breaking their words. And they were saying, oh, well, I, uh, I guess I didn't really disobey God because the second reason they messed it up, they got completely focused on the to the Lord part. The man who makes a vow to the Lord has to keep it. So they thought, if I make a vow to anything other than the Lord, I can break my word. I'm still righteous with God. They had missed the point of the passage. All of these texts from the Old Testament, the point wasn't that your vow was made to the Lord. The point was, don't lie. That was God's point. Don't make a vow and break your word. All of your vows should be unto the Lord because he's the greatest. But when you make a vow, don't lie about it. Don't break your word. You get it? 
Think about it for a second. Think about it for a second with me. The reason that like vows, like why you only use them on special occasions. So a lot of times in the New Testament, for example, Jesus would say, verily, verily, I say unto you. If you grew up like me in King James, that's what you heard. Verily, verily, I say unto you, right? Some other translations will say, truly, truly, I say unto you. Or, or uh, I can assure you. And then Jesus would say something after that. Now, why did Jesus say that? Like when Jesus said, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, is that like, oh, Jesus must be telling the truth this time because he says truly, truly. Like he wasn't telling the truth the other times? You see what I'm saying? Like the vow, the commitment, has nothing to do with whether or not you're supposed to tell the truth. Like if you're like listening to Jesus, well, Jesus only said truly one time. Must be, I guess he can break his word on that promise. Like, no, we wouldn't think that. That's the whole idea behind these oaths, right? And they had twisted that to think, as long as we don't swear an oath to the Lord, we can break our words. We can use it in business. We can use it to manipulate people in our life. We can use it to be cunning and get our own way. And so that's what they were doing. Over every little thing, they were using, oh, I promise I'll fix your car right this time. And they're like cutting the brake line. You know what I mean? They don't care. They don't have cars back then. They didn't really do that. I'm just saying that's kind of the idea, right? You get it, right? They were, they were misusing and abusing vows to manipulate people into believing them. Everybody in the room when you were a kid did this. But we didn't say, I swear by the temple or I swear on Jerusalem. Here's what we did. We put our hands behind our back. And then we were like, oh yeah, I promise I'll do that. And then later we're like, ah, oh, I had my fingers crossed. Right? Didn't everybody do that as a kid? My kids don't do that because they get in trouble. But yeah, it crossed your fingers, right? That's what they were doing with these oaths. They had shrunk it down to this superficial thing so that they could say anything they wanted to and then go back on their word if they felt like it. Do you get it? They had reduced God's righteousness down to something they wanted to do or something they felt like doing or could do and then had convinced themselves they were still righteous because they weren't disobeying the vows unto the Lord. Just like what we do today with all kinds of stuff. They had minimized. Imagine if we did that today. If I, was a, if I was a spouse, that would upset me. You go to your wedding and your husband or your wife is like, I promise before God and these witnesses to always be faithful to you, to, to do whatever it takes to love you, to honor you, to cherish you in sickness and in health as, until death do us part. And then you hear your spouse like two weeks later making the same vow to like call a duty. Like I promise guys, I'll be at my keyboard every day. I'll never leave you in sickness and in health till death do us part. I'll get all the cheat codes. I'll be there. You're like, you just shrunk the importance of your marriage down to like a video game. That's what we do all the time. Oh my God, this cookie. Cookie? We're talking about the God of the universe. And you shrunk him down to chocolate chips. Like you should be saving this stuff only for the important things of life. Oh my God, I can't believe how annoying they are. I can believe how annoying they are. Stop that. Stop minimizing your vows and your calling on the name of the Lord into everything in life. I swear to God, if I blah, 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 if I have to put up with them for one more minute, I'll just kill myself. Really? Really? That's where we're at on this thing? We're taking vows and oaths and promises and words that should be reserved to communicate to people how super serious we are about important issues and we're shrinking them down to anything we want it to be. And then breaking our word because like, oh, I wasn't really serious about that or breaking our word like it doesn't really matter. Question number three was, what is Jesus actually teaching about vows? Well, here's what he's teaching. You ready? You belong to God. You, I'm going to show it to you in just a second, but he's teaching, you belong to God. So any promise you make is a promise to God because you're his. You can't compartmentalize your life. There is no distinction in God's mind between the sacred and the secular. You can't come to church and be honest and then lie to everybody at work and think you're living the right way. You can't just compartmentalize your life that way. It doesn't work that way with God. 
You have to speak the truth everywhere. Keep your word in all circumstances. This had become such a confusing topic, and they had made it so specific on all the lies they could and couldn't tell. Jesus had to revisit it again. Let me show it to you. In Matthew chapter 23, he comes back to this subject, talking to the same group of religious leaders. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 16. You blind guides, what sorrow awaits you? For you say it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it is binding to swear by the gold in the temple. It doesn't even make sense. Blind fools, which is more important, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And you say that to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How, how blind? For which is more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? When you swear by the altar, you are swearing by it and by everything on it. When you swear by the temple, you are swearing by it and by God who lives in it. And when you swear by heaven, you are swearing by the throne of God and by God who sits on his throne. See how they had like picked out all these things. You can swear to that, but you can't swear to that. And if you swear to that, you can break your word. But if you don't swear to that, you have to. They had made it so they could say whatever they wanted to and get away with it. You get where he's coming from on this? How do I know for sure that Jesus isn't saying in this text to never take an oath. Because that's what it sounds like he's saying, right? So how do I know it's not what he's saying? Well, I'm going to show it to you in just a second. But I could start with this. Paul swears an oath in Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus testifies under oath at his trial in Matthew 26, 62 to 64. He said back earlier in this same chapter we're looking at, Matthew 5, 17, I did not come to destroy the law. And then just a few verses later says, none of us should ever disobey any of God's commandments, even the least of these. And taking an oath was a commandment that God gave. We read that. And then, like I said earlier, God himself made an oath. So how could he be saying you're not allowed to take any oaths if he himself took an oath? That seems confusing, right? So I start with that premise that God makes it obvious that it's kind of the thing to do. Lots of people do them. But let me go back to that oath that God made from Genesis 22. You remember that one I read you to Abraham? Hebrews does a good job of summing this up and explaining it beautifully. Let me read it to you. Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 13. Here's an example, he says. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name. That makes sense, right? saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. Did we talk about that already? You get that, right? Only in God's name. Nobody else is greater than you. You get that, right? We're not, we don't take an oath in the name of the squirrel running down my street because God made me greater than him. I don't take a, uh, an oath in, in the name of my children. I take an oath only in the name of the Lord because he's greater than us, right? And without any question, that oath is binding. Now listen, this is, this is such great like theology. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who receive the promise could be perfectly sure, not somewhat sure, not kind of sure, not sure unless they say something else, perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, stay with me, therefore we who have fled to him for refuge, for help, for safety, can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest. And you need to know there are people all over McCreary County telling their churches this morning that God will break his oath and take back their salvation if they make a mistake this week. That God will break his word, he is a liar, and he will take back his promise if you mess up and sin this week. As if God is so stupid, 
sorry, I shouldn't say that. As if God is so foolish that he didn't know the sins you were going to commit this week when he died for you 2,000 years ago. Aren't we wise enough to see that every single sin I commit was in the future from Jesus' perspective? Yet he died for me. So now he's going to break his oath? Oh, I didn't see that sin coming. You're out now. No, he gave me his oath and his promise, and this should give me perfect certainty of the hope that Jesus has promised me. That he will not forsake me. He will not abandon me. He will not give up on me. He will not break his word. You say, but what if I'm unfaithful? He remains faithful. Where is the part in the Bible where anybody remained faithful? Israel treated him like garbage. Yet he remains faithful to them. All of his prophets, all of his kings, all of his apostles turned their back on him, disbelieved him at different times, did the opposite of what he told them to do, and still he remained faithful to his promises. Do you get it? God can't lie. So what is Jesus trying to say? Here's the two things Jesus is trying to teach us, Then I'm going to read them to you again so you can see it. Here's the first one. You ready? Stop making these kinds of oaths, kinds of vows. Stop doing it. I'll read it to you. Stay with me for a second. And here's, the, here's what he says. Let me read it to you, right? Starting in verse 34, I think. But I say, do not make any vows. Now, what would help us out, why we get confused on this, is because of the punctuation they added, which there was no punctuation when they originally wrote the Bible there. So if we could take the punctuation out and just read it like Jesus is really trying to teach it that makes sense with the rest of the Bible, okay? Here's what he's saying. But I say, do not make any vows saying by heaven, because heaven is where God lives. Do not make any vows saying by earth, because earth is where he rests his feet. Do not make any vows saying by Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is his city. Do not make any vows saying by my own head, or that would be like us saying on my own life, I swear it. Because God's your God. He's yours. You're supposed to be his kids. So any of these vows you take, they're really making a vow to God. So if you're going to make any vow, it has to be unto the Lord. Stop taking all these simple things of life and elevating them to vow status. Stop saying these kinds of vows. And then the second thing he's trying to teach us is this. Let your words be trustworthy. Let your word be your bond. When it comes to all these simple things of life, he's saying in verse 37, just a simple yes I will or no I won't. Anything beyond that, when it comes to these lesser matters of life, is just showing everybody that deep down, you got some evil intentions. You're trying to run a con. You're trying to convince people you're really serious when you might not be. And you might not be about something that actually matters. Do you get it? That's what he's saying. Put those back up there just for a second. Stop making these kinds of vows. Because vows are only supposed to be made to the Lord and they're only supposed to be made for things that are really serious. You get it? And let the words you speak be trustworthy. Hey, as a Christian, wouldn't it be great if the world could bank on what we say? He said he'd do it. I know he'll do it. I, I learned this other one. Sam taught me this. I learned this other one in McCreary County. This is another Kentucky thing. Southern thing, maybe. But in Kentucky, if somebody says, can I borrow your tool? What they really mean is, will you give me your tool for the rest of my life? That's what they really mean right? No, what if our word was actually our bond? And if I said I was going to do something, I really did it. And if I said I'd be somewhere, I was really there when I said I'd be there. Do you get it? Look, let me just kind of leave you with some advice. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you don't love Jesus and you've never even heard some of this stuff before, what Jesus is trying to communicate to us in every week of this series is you can't ever be good enough. You're a liar because we're all liars. Stop trying to think you can make your own rules of right and wrong for what is and isn't a lie and what is and isn't breaking a vow. And then if you keep those rules, then you'll get into heaven. No, we're all liars and we need Jesus' righteousness. Can you even admit that? And if you're here today and you're a Christian, I want to just leave you with this. Maybe we need to make some serious vows. I get so sick of the folks that are one foot in, one foot out. 
I get so sick of that. I got to think Jesus gets sick of that. What if we just got down on our face or on our knees? We actually made some commitments to the Lord in his name as if they really mattered if we kept our word or not. Uh, matters or, or issues of what we're going to do with our finances, how we're going to lead our family, how faithful and committed we're going to be to him, how we will or will not serve the world around us whether or not we'll show other people love or whether we'll live selfishly. What if we took vows in those areas? The world would get just flipped on its head. If Christians really started living like Christians are supposed to live, as if their word matters, as if everything they say is like a vow unto the Lord, because everything I could take an allegiance to or everything I could swear an oath to, he owns and I've given him control over, so everything I say is as if I'm making an oath to the Lord. So my words should be like gold. Is that you? I just want to challenge you as we close today. If you're not a Christian, to just inside your own head, inside your own heart, as we wrap up the service, just say to God, God, I'm sorry for thinking I could ever be good enough on my own to get into heaven. I'm sorry for that. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, God, I'm sorry that I haven't made enough vows to you and stuck with them and maybe make a brand new one today you know what to do you know the right thing is to do don't make up our own system of theology or righteousness let's do it god's way let's hear god's truth and let's go put it into practice and we could flip the world upside down our church of 80 could be a church of 800 just like that but not if everybody's in it for themselves not if everybody's breaking their word not if everybody looks out for their own interests but if we start doing it God's way, we take some vows to him, that we're going to live his way, and we stick to our word, he will take this community and flip it upside down for you. He'll bless you. He'll bless us. He'll do it. He wants to do it more than we want him to do it. So who's with me today? I want to challenge you as we end today, just make those commitments. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our church. Would you pour out some courage in the room right now and give everybody the courage it'll take to not just hear your word, but to do your word. To not just hear what you say, but to hear and put it into practice. To start making vows only over serious issues. To make them all unto you. And then to stick to our word no matter what it costs us. Would you teach us to be the kind of righteous people you want us to? But always, God, to be falling back on the fact that we are just liars and murderers and adulterers, and divorcees, and we desperately need your righteousness if we're ever going to be made right with God. Thank you, Lord, for never breaking your promises to us, for being the oath keeper, the, the promise keeper, the vow keeper, the, the faithful one all the time, even when I'm unfaithful, even when we disobey you. Thank you, God, for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Thanks again for listening in on the Three Strands podcast. If you've never visited us in person, we'd love to meet you face to face. We gather every Sunday, 11 a.m. at the McCreary County Park Building. We hope to see you soon.